is a well, thank you so much, Haley. I had forgotten to record. I'm just so excited to talk about money. Um, she is a personal finance expert, speaker, and the author of Financial Adulting and the 30-Day Money Cleanse. She is the founder of the Fiscal Femme, which is a feminist money platform. It has helped thousands of people feel financially confident, achieve major financial goals, and de-stress their relationships with money. So I personally love Ashley's work because I feel like she brings an accessible and feminist and community perspective. And that just feels really different than other money gurus who I feel like it's sort of all about tips and tricks and sort of like insidery things and very individualistic in its mindset. So I like that a lot about Ashley's work. It's very in line with our values here at The Double Shift. Also, I, you know, have a complex love-hate, mostly hate relationship with Instagram. But if you like Instagram, I recommend The Fiscal Femme. It is, I would put it on the high quality content available to you on the platform full of things that are not high quality. So um, Ashley, before we go at the end, I definitely want you to share all the links of everything where people can find you, your newsletter, your Instagram, et cetera. So um, we are recording. Ooh, I love, we're just getting a lot of people in today. Everyone's coming into the new year warm and toasty and everyone wants to talk about money. So this is great. For those of you who just joined us in the chat, we are sharing where we live, if we have kids, how old they are and what we do for work outside of if we work outside the home, what what we do outside of the home for paid employment or what we do inside the home, et cetera. Um, so feel free to share, make connections, et cetera. So I have pitched, I have billed this as an ask me anything, ask me anything, but ask Ashley anything. It's like a AAMA <laughs> or something. So get your questions ready. And I want to start off with one or two, and then we're going to be very free flowing. I have tons of questions and can lead the discussion, but I want everyone to like feel ready to ask questions that are general, um, sort of, you know, as we specific, as we think about sort of money, family, work, values, you know, how, how we teach kids about money, how we express our values through money. There's, this is a very rich topic and Ashley is game enough to try to tackle everything, although certainly no one has all the answers. Okay. So Ashley, anything you want to say before I start peppering you with questions? I want I'll, I can answer the initial questions for the chat. So I'm in Jersey city. Yes. Great. Um, in New Jersey. So cold, but not as cold as usual today. And then I have two kids, a three and a six, three and a six. Okay. Yeah. And you, used, my- you were in New York city for a long time. Is this Jersey city move new? So we were in New York City and then we moved to Hoboken right before we had our first son. And then um, we just moved in September to Jersey City. Okay. So, so you're just, really you're, you're moving further out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, I feel like it is very easy for other people to feel like, for people in general to feel like other people know more about money than them. And I know you feel strongly that we shouldn't feel shame about mistakes or, you know, feel like we have to be perfect about money all the time um, and that people make mistakes and missteps and that is part of life. That is an opportunity to learn and grow, et cetera. You even have have done a hashtag called financial fail Fridays, which is very funny. Um, so I thought we could start by both of us sharing a money mistake we've made just to break the ice. If others want to join in on money mistakes in the chat, feel free. No one is obliged, but I thought you and I could just set the tone by sharing some money mistakes. So yes, I'm going to let you it. go first as our honored guest. Yes. All right. So I loved the idea of Financial Fail Friday. Someone in my Instagram community actually recommended it. And the reason I love it is one of the negative parts of money feeling taboo. And it's not something that we often talk about because we don't realize that other people are just trying to figure it out too. And I can tell you that no matter what room I'm in, if I'm giving a talk, if I say like, do you think you should know more about money and personal finance? It doesn't matter if it's a bank, a hedge fund, like all the hands go up. Um, And so I think it's something we all think we want to know more about, but we don't realize that our friends, our colleagues, our family all do too. So with the money 
fails. We're normalizing mistakes because we're all going to make them. We're just, this is a journey. We're figuring it out. And then we can also learn from each other's mistakes. Like if you see that I did this one thing, maybe you'll think about it and it can help you or stop you from making that same mistake. So that's why I love doing those each week. And we do wins as well, but the financial fails are new and I've been loving them. So one recent one, and this is pretty really recent for me, um, is so my partner works at a bank and every time we switch jobs, we have to switch where our investment accounts are because there's like these approved brokers. And so in this last move, <laughs> I logged into the new account and I found an account that I had completely forgot about. It had $5,000 in it. I don't know how, at, where along the way I lost this account, but I think it was for my twenties. And I just completely had no idea that I had no account of that account. So that was a pretty big one. <laughs> I'm so glad we switched, um, but I never would have known that. And sometimes I think it's a testament to simplicity. Like when we have so many different accounts, um, it's really a lot of logins, links. Um, and so I think it got lost in the shuffle for me that way. They don't make it easy. And mine is actually a very similar fail. Um, you know, and like, I think that's another part of it is that we think if we don't understand something, it's our fault and that we're not smart. Not that like large financial institutions are not incentivized to like make this accessible. Um, my similarly was that I had a Roth IRA from my twenties that I had put money in and I did not realize for many, many years that you had to choose investments for it in order for it to like be in the stock market. I was just like, oh yeah, I did the right thing. I put money in this account and it was just sitting there not earning any interest or whatever. I'm not even gonna tell you how many years. It was many years that it sat there. And so that theoretically cost me like thousands and thousands of dollars, not realizing that I was supposed to select a fund for it to go into. I just was like, thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking. It was just like, I knew it was there, but I just didn't realize that I had to take a step. So anyway, I think it's a very, so I've heard so many people share that. So I think it's yeah. something in how we're talking about retirement. Maybe we should be calling it investing for retirement rather right. than saving because yes. And it's great to find it now versus like in 20 yes. years, but definitely understand. Yeah. Similarly, I was like consolidating a bunch of things from different jobs. And then I was like, oh, you have to put it invested in the stock market if you want it to be invested in the stock market. So, also, yeah. sometimes it takes so much work just to get the account that you're like, ah, yeah. You're like, oh, I possibly be more it. Right. <laughs> Yes. Right. So, well, these are like kind of like high level, like weird investment money fails, but you can, it's easy to have money fails in so many different ways. Like I saw people in your community will share things like not turning, returning the Amazon package in the return window. You know, there's just all these like little things that can add up or there's definitely, I remember one saying one person, I remember on your website, one person saying buying a purse I didn't like because I didn't want to offend the salesperson. You know? That was actually something that was much more common than I expected is feeling uncomfortable in these types of situations has us spend money. And I feel like every week there's some like that, like, so I just bought dinner because it felt so awkward to ask to split the bill or right. I bought the item because I felt bad. The salesperson had spent so much time that I right. like hated the item or like these, like feeling bad, not wanting to say something, um, purchases right. that we end up regretting. Yeah. They're pretty common. So it's so interesting. So some of our, like the money fails are actually relates to social interactions, which is so interesting or like our social conditioning or how we talk about money or how we're not talking about money or how we feel we're obligated to do certain things. So I, there's like so many layers there rather than like not pushing a button or like forgetting you have something, <laughs> which is, which were our stories. Yeah. So, yeah. So those are, yes, are really interesting. Um, so I will, I will just warm up with another question. And, and if people start to have their own questions, we will, we will turn it over. But, um, so even in the context of like happy and healthy partnerships, romantic relationships, marriages, it can be really hard to talk about money. So why do you think that is? 
Well, thinking about it, and this is something we do with the money cleanse is we start by focusing on ourselves and then we bring in families, friends, because I think, first of all, it's hard to talk about it with ourselves or face it for ourselves. And so even before we're able to bring another person in into the conversation, we need to know what's going on ourselves. So I think that's part of it. I think money is really emotional. There's a power dynamic to it. There's often different values, maybe not like full life values, but what you value spending on versus your partner. Like I'm very much an experienced person, service person. And my husband is very much wants a thing to show when he spends money. Like he wants to be able to physically have something. And so we often can poo poo the others spending like, is that really worth it? But it is to us. So I think there could be a lot of judgment, shame from ourselves than adding the other person. Um, and I think mistakes are hard to admit to this sometimes person that we want to be viewed as an equal and fully smart. And um, there's the not understanding. Um, so I really think a really great place to start a money conversation with a partner, or even if you've had many that you want to just go back to a very powerful place is to talk about the fun part, like what you want and what you want to be creating together. Um, and then also some questions for both people to talk through that can be really helpful are like, what's your first money memory? What are you most afraid of? So I found with, when I worked with one-on-one -on -one clients, I found sometimes in a relationship, a couple would be financially in a very healthy place, but one person had a deep fear of like losing it all, of not having a home. and so when we understand more where our partner's coming from, like with their fears and how our actions or how we're talking about something can trigger a fear in them, there can be a lot more compassion. I think also just understanding how our families were with money yes. because we can come from different cultures, different, different money mindsets. And so before we're diving into like, why did you spend this much on that? Or how much debt do we have? Like really trying to understand where each other is coming from. And I think one other thing, because this we could talk about this a lot, but yes, we could talk um, about it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like creating a space for it. And I'm a big proponent of having money parties, which are monthly meetings about money. And it's a time to look at what we spent the last month. It's a time to think about, okay, what's happening this coming month? Oh, I've been meaning to cancel that subscription, which is a financial fail from a lot of people, like forgetting to cancel something. I want to roll over that bank account. I need to, whatever it is, um, but it's putting a time on the calendar so that instead of, especially if money is a stressful thing in a relationship, instead of like, hey, why is the Amex so big? It's like, no, we'll talk about that at the money party. And we're going to go into the money party, speaking with kindness, like setting certain ground rules for this conversation and compartmentalizing it sometimes can be really beneficial. Yes. I remember you um, talking about money parties and saying, I think last year that you thought they should be like at least an hour a month. And I was like, that seems like so much like, or maybe you were saying two hours a month. I can't remember what you're, and I was like, that seems like so much. And now, and now I realize that that is actually needed and probably what my family needs. And we are, my husband and I are undergoing for the first, for the first time, a really detailed forward projecting budget rather than a, what did we spend? What is happening? Because I think a, a lot of it has been that it's felt like our lives have been too unpredictable to, you know, and even if, it, you know, even if we had enough money, we weren't able to say, I mean, there were some months where it's like, yes, we understand how much we're going to be spending, but it just felt like there were so many of these wild surprises um about stuff so so and that has been a many 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 hour process of making this budget and it has been a lot it's been him doing a lot of of work on the front end and some of the conversations have gone great and some of them have not gone great <laughs> so I wouldn't say they've all been like party vibes but I do feel like we both agree that this is worth it and this is like um, 11 and a half years into our marriage, we're finally able to do this. So it's, I guess, never too late. I don't know. Yes. No, I, and I, even thinking, I think the more people that you're accounting for expenses of like tracking expenses, when you have two people and kids, it, it takes a long time. So, yeah. and I do say that it gets faster as you get the hang of it and yeah. get going. Um, 
and but I, that initial setup is daunting. Yes. And yeah. take it in steps. Like, like anything, like don't, I think that's why I always said cap the time. Like, I don't want you to have a five day, five hour money party and be like, yeah. Ashley, I hate you. Why did I join that call? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, th and then I think too, for the, the unpredictableness of our spending and sometimes our earning too, it can feel futile to plan it out. But I do think it's still like, of course, it, it it's never going to be perfect. Even when we do think we know what spending is going to look like, anything can come up. So, but the act of planning for it, at least for certain things, we can feel more confident and intentional about decisions in the moment. But of course, that's like things come up and things change. Yeah, totally. Um, Hannah has her hand raised. Hannah. Okay, I have two questions and hope one of them's like big and hopefully the other one's small. The first, well, the first one I would love to um, uh, know, get some advice from you about how to start the whole budgeting process. Because I've tried a whole bunch of times. Um, I you know, tried Mint and it was too much. I've tried just a spreadsheet, but then I just feel like it's all very manual, would love something that's a little bit more automated um, and something that can help me both understand like, yeah, forward-looking and, and actuals so that I can try to like be more forward projecting. That's the big question. The small question is related to the, um, your financial fail of the like, account that's been sitting. So like every couple of years, I'm reminded of two retirement savings accounts that were related to two different jobs that I had like decades ago. And it's like five to $7,000. But my, I guess my question is, what would you advise doing with them? Because I, I'm, I fear that it's it will cost me money to move the money to somewhere that's more consolidated. So like, would it be worth just cashing that out and moving it and having it sit somewhere? Or should I leave it somewhere and try to like nurture it the best I can in the like two different places it currently exists? Yes, those are really great questions. So the first question, the big question, well, I'm actually gonna start with the second question. So you said there are retirement accounts through your previous yeah so i'm in canada and so we have these things called rrsp Re registered retire retirement savings plan and they're they were initially group plans that are through like you know financial institution and they're just sitting there whereas i have like i when i was laid off from my job in 2019 i just cashed everything out and i put them into my my own bank so I have control over those and I see them every day because they're with all of my other accounts. These two little ones are in two different institutions. Right. So I'm, I definitely, I've worked with their TSPs, right? I don't know what a TSP is. Uh, oh, RRSP. An RRSP, yeah. yeah. So I have done, I've worked with clients in Canada before, but it was years ago. So I don't want to misquote the rules, but yeah. here, and I think there too, cashing out is like, you pay taxes, you pay fees. Um, so yeah. if, and you can't just roll it over. Um, yeah. I don't think like you can't roll it into an IRA or something. So, but you could potentially roll it into another, into your current one. Um, yeah. There's nothing actually wrong with having it in different places, at least in 401k programs or 403bs here, because, but you're just like not part of the communication from the company. If something changes yeah. to manage. So I'm typically a fan of rolling it together. And when you're on the phone, um, deciding who to call, I always call the company that's getting my money. <laughs> they tend to be mm. the ones who are much more helpful than the ones who are losing it. Losing so it. Like, Hey, I'd like it. to roll over these two accounts into this are there fees like is there is this going to cost anything i'm thinking it wouldn't as long as you're transferring it over um but any way that you can consolidate without taking it out of this retirement tax advantage situation i think would just make your life easier and you'll have more insight to it um, yeah that makes sense something changes and then for the budgeting it's such a it's a really important question because there are there's kind of a spectrum of how we want to budget there's and so i've actually recently 
come up with two quizzes that I can send. One is your budgeting personality. And that I think it's really important because some people like love a spreadsheet and they want to get into the nitty gritty. And the other end of the spectrum is like, this is never going to happen. I don't want to even look at it. And you sound in the middle. Um, but the, and I would call it like an almost there budget. Like you probably have little things that have been missing that you're so close because you've tried multiple times in different ways. Um, and then I also have another quiz because mint is shutting down actually, or yeah, shutting down because it's turning into credit karma, but they don't have budgeting tools. So I've made a mint alternative quiz and that will be helpful even if you don't like mint because it will match you with tools based oh, that's on great. yeah based on how you answer certain questions but i mm -hmm. will say this so it's tough because the more automated services they they take work too because you have to categorize them you have to be on top of it i remember when i first got mint um I got an email one day, like you've spent 99% of your money this week at bars. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. And then it said, oh, it's this charge from De Beers. And it was my husband's wedding band. <laughs> so um, it, it will just, you have to actually work with it and check it um, to make it useful to you. And spending and looking through spending is tedious. It's so powerful, but it's tedious. There are things you can do if you don't want to be doing that. Um, for example, I've had people set up special debit cards that are just for spending. So if like outside of their bills, if like all of their regular swiping spending, let's say is 500 a month, then 500, they'll, they'll put the money onto their debit so they can keep track of how much is left on there. Um, also just looking at the total spend, you know, is a one way to do it, but it's just you might have a huge expense in there that really throws it off. And you might feel like, oh, I've, I, we did horrible this month, but really you had to buy a flight for something. And so you're really measuring yourself in a not fair way. So I'd say um, different ways to do smaller chunks with it are like, I know I really want to look at dining out and just like looking at one area, yeah. or I really want to focus on groceries. Um, doesn't have to be all or nothing, but I can definitely send the links to those two quizzes because they give tips and tools based on how you answer the questions. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's great. Cause I think that that is really, I think that the, even the hurdle of figuring out what tool to use. And then mm -hmm. also if you're in a partnership, which one you both are going to agree to use is huge. So yeah. Awesome. It's funny um, because people are messaging me like, what am I going to do? Mint is shutting down. And I looked at all these lists and I'm like, this is like, how can I be more helpful than these lists? Because I'm overwhelmed by the list too. It's like, here's the pros and cons. Like, it's hard to imagine yeah. what the, what it actually does. And yeah. So that's awesome. Um, oh. Do other, other people want to jump in, right in with questions or comments? I feel like there's lots of liveliness in the chat if anyone wants to ask questions. Otherwise, I have a robust list. I see some wide nabbers on here. That's definitely in the in the answers of the quiz. Yes, I know people love that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a question. So is there, um, you know, the, I know that there's recommendations on like you should spend X percent of your budget on you know, your home or wherever you live or stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Is there a guideline for vacations? Because that's, that's the thing that I love most. And so like, to me, I, I, I want an unlimited budget, but like, <laughs> I want to be responsible too. So <laughs> it's such a good, question. interesting to say, to hear what the experts say. Yeah. That, I love this question. I feel like how to pay for vacations. I'm like, maybe I'm going to have the answer once my children are in all in public school. Then <laughs> The answer is have money. And then but anyway, so, yes. So yes, you'll hear things like the 50-30 budget, right? 50% on fixed expenses, 30% on like whatever, and 20% fun. I'm not a big proponent of those types of budgets because, for example, if you love travel and vacation, you might actually make different choices. Like you might choose to live in a less expensive apartment or home and prioritize your life around spending more on, on vacation. So I would say how much you can afford to spend on vacations is a balance with 
your goals. And um, so something that I like to think of is if that's your top thing, right? And you know, you want to be saving for retirement and you're saving for X, Y, Z other goals. Um, it, as long as you're saving as much as you want for your goals, and it can be a balance and a negotiation with those goals, then you're, you're good. And I think um, something that an exercise that I go through is like writing down the three things that make you happiest. And let's say for you, vacation is number one, looking at every expense in your budget in terms of what that would look like as far as a vacation and deciding if the other expenses are worth it to you. So um, really, and that's, that's not one size fits all at all, right? It's gonna be so specific to you and what makes you happy and brings you joy, but it's a really great way to decide if how we're using our money is in the way that's really treating us. And of course, in a family and a partnership, like we have to do it, we'll include others in those plans if their happy items are different than ours. Um, but I like to look at the annual number of each thing and say, oh, if I stop doing this, I could add a vacation. Um, is it worth it to me? And the, the cool part about it is there's no right or wrong answer. There's no judgment. It's like, what actually is the answer to you? It might be worth it to keep it. It might be worth it to do it less frequently. It might be worth it to get rid of it completely. And it just makes, it helps us as long as, of course, as your needs are met, um, that's, it's a great way to just really be intentional with our spending. I love, I love that. I do think, you know, you know, one of my questions for you, Ashley, was really around how budgets, budgets are actually expressions of values. And so there's no one right budget for that's a one size fits all. And I, I, I do think that also with vacations, there are like, I know I've had feelings like seeing, you know, someone's amazing pictures on Instagram. I'm like, how do they afford that vacation? Like it, and it's very easy to feel like everybody else is going on really amazing vacations, except for me, everyone else must budgeting and spending their money differently or saving better or way better jobs or whatever. So I think that that also, I don't know if that's an issue for you. Yeah. It sounds like you also just like to go on trips as I do too, but it's, it, it definitely distorts, I think like realities of yeah. what is well, real. My, my, kids, my kids seem to hang out with kids who like always go to Florida. That's their impression. Everyone else is always going to Florida. I'm like, well, probably everyone else has not been to some of the places you've been, but that doesn't matter. I want to go to Florida more. <laughs> um, let's see. We have, uh, I think Christine had her hand up first. Christine. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, budgeting is definitely something we're trying to work on, but also as it relates to like long-term goals and how you make decisions about managing assets or investments. And, you know, we have occasional discussions about this when there's like a decision point coming up mm -hmm. um, with one asset in particular. And it, you know, I'm definitely more risk averse. My husband's definitely more, you know, willing to push it and, and hopefully like get more out of it, um, a little more aggressive. So I just, I'm, it's unclear to me how you're supposed to gauge what your goals are and how you can maximize for that. Right. Are you talking about goals that are just, you don't have, it's like, I just want this money to grow. It's not for anything in particular or no, I mean, like, I think we always have something in particular in mind. That's like either pie in the sky or something that's like right ahead of us. So like anything from home renovations and like the scale of that to, you know, buying a vacation home or like eventually or whatever, right? Like, I just don't know in terms of the risk reward equation, that's always like stumps me. Yes. It's a great question. So that actually is the biggest driver of how you allocate your money is the timeline to me. And of course your own personal risk tolerance, but I've, I've found that we're a lot, I think most of us are more risk averse than we think. And even me, like, you know, I'm in the space, I read about it all the time, but like when you're watching the news and it's like, everything is going down, you know, you just, it's hard not to get caught up in it. Um, but it's one great thing, especially if you have a partner who is the other side of the spectrum is like being able to talk to each other about it. And almost it's like an accountability buddy. Like we're not doing anything. We're going to wait it out. Um, and have that intention to begin with. But I'd say the shorter term, the, the goal, the 
less risky you want something. So like if you want to do a home renovation in the next couple of years, like I probably wouldn't even, I would have it in like a high yield savings account, a CD um, versus investing that money. Now, if you have cash elsewhere, the, I think the how I think about it and how it's often recommended is you never want to feel like you have to take money out when the market is down. Like you want to have the luxury of waiting it out or the power in waiting it out. I think in 2008, I saw um, clients who had, this was, they weren't my clients then, but looking back, they ended up taking out a lot of student loans because they had retirement funds, but they had them fully invested and it was time for the children to go to college. It was 2008 and they had to pull them out at that big loss. So I think if the, the more flexible you are on the date, for example, let's say you're like, ideally, I'll do a home renovation in two years. But if the market is down, I'm happy to wait two more years. Or if you're like, two years is the date, then I would def I would keep it in the less risky and like the cash and the CDs. But if you're open to just seeing how the market is doing, I think those are, are some things to think about. And then while I look at each individual goal, um, you can also borrow from other goals to do different things if you want to be a little more risky with something. But I'm generally like a very boring investor. I invest in low fee funds um, and for shorter term things, um, keep it in cash. But for longer term goals, I'm in those um, low fee funds. And in my second book, so my first book's all about budgeting and money mindset. And then the second book, there's two chapters where I share like everything I think someone needs to know about investing around retirement and around investing in general, chapter seven and eight. <laughs> That's great. I, yeah. I, um, I think I also, I think I learned about, or was reminded from you, Ashley, about, um, high yield savings accounts, which are great right now, especially because the, um, because interest rates are really high, you're able to get pretty high, um, returns but like between four and five percent on just having your money in a savings account so if you have like a short-term goal or an emergency fund it's that's great I know I I'm not a person to give financial advice that's my only financial advice <laughs> no but we're in that so we moved because we kind of accidentally sold our condo because the market here there's no inventory and we've had an off-market listing for like three years where the the agent would just text us and say would you sell for this price? And we didn't really want to sell, but the price just got so good. We're like, I think we should. Um, and so we have our house money sitting in a high yield savings account. And there's the, the debate. My husband is also the one who is more risky, wants to take out, like, like play around with his investment ideas. And I'm like, okay, but if we want to buy a house, we have to have that money available. Like, I don't want to see the perfect house and the market be down and think, oh my gosh, now I have to decide if I'm going to take a loss and just take the money out because I'm I'm not taking my own advice. So I, I understand the pain, especially after like a 24% market year <laughs> to, to keep things in cash. Um, so I would think through scenarios. I think that can make it the most tangible. Like what would happen in the scenario for this goal if like in, in different market cases, if it's like an okay year, if it's a great year, if it's a bad year, um, and think through it and help inform the risk that way. Um, but yes, definitely high yield savings accounts are great. Yes, Susan has a question. My question is about college savings for the kiddos. Like what, like, I feel like it's, I mean, it's like the numbers are just like going up and up and up. So it's like, how much do you save? Like, are those, I think they're 524s. Like, are those worth it? Actually with the 524s too, or whatever they're called, I had like a specific question. Like what if the kids don't go to school or they want to go to school in like Canada or Europe? Can they still use the money for that? Like, um, yeah, that's my question. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's astronomical. I remember when my son was born, I did the math, like, on an investment calculator. And I said, all right, let's do the math. If he wants to go to a public college, let's do the math. If he wants to go to a private university. And I, it was like, I had to invest 1100 a month starting when he was zero to pay for private college. It was like, I know. <laughs> like, like what? But I think this is the same with retirement. It's like, sometimes we see those numbers and we don't do anything, but when the time comes, even if you have part of it, it's going to be helpful and beneficial. 
Um, so the, the account you're talking about is a 529. And it's so funny because I actually just, um, I do Q&A from the community and I just created a reel on what happens if I don't use my 529 funds. And it's a big concern because what if they don't go to college? What if they go to, they don't, they like don't use all of it, get a scholarship. I have to look specifically on using it internationally. That's a really good question. But some things you can do are, you can assign it to different people. So you could assign it to a sibling, to a cousin. Um, a new law that just took in, just went into place in 2024 is you can actually roll over up to $35,000 per child to an IRA. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty great because it's like shifting the, if you don't use it, you're shifting that money to their retirement. And like, if you imagine money in the market doubles, like every eight years, <laughs> they're going to be in a really cool place. Um, by the time they're able to access that money. So that's something that can feel good. And you could, if, if it was over 35,000, you could do it for multiple kids. Um, you can use it for student loans. You can use up to 10,000. You can use it for, um, K through 12. So if an older sibling doesn't use it and then, and you still have someone else, you can use it for that type of tuition. If they have, um, school tuition younger, um, I always joked that I would roll it over to myself and go on semester at sea. <laughs> uh, there but, are worse ideas. There are worse ideas. Your child yeah, so, in college, just be like, I'm for my best life. Yeah. <laughs> it's always um, like a movie, Ashley back to college. But. I know. Right. Well, also, and also another thing is, um, from my understanding of 529s, the kinds of schools you can use them on are very, very broad community college, trade colleges, yeah. technical education programs. It's not just like your standard four-year college. So if your child is not going on a sort of standard academic journey, there's a lot of things. And if you have more and than one child, again, you can move them around between them. And it does say, um, when I, a quick Google, that international schools or universities can be eligible. So it would depend on the one probably. And then I would look to see if it's a lot of them or just like two, but um, it's definitely something to, to look at. Yes. I saw a question. You, you invest it like an IRA there. Usually there's options. Um, like for example, the one that, that I have for our kids, there's just a, you basically put in the year and it puts you in a fund, but others, you have more choice in the matter, but yes, you want the money invested in growing. And, um, it's not like the money isn't yours. Like you, you would just, you pay a penalty if you take it out. So I would right. try your best to use it within the qualified expenses, because then what's really cool about, cool about 529s and retirement accounts is that they grow tax-free. And that's a really big benefit, especially when something is growing for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so let's say you buy an investment for $10 and when you sell it, it's a hundred if it wasn't in a tax advantage account, if it's in just like your regular investment account, you pay taxes on that $80. You pay 15%, 20%, depending on your income. Whereas in these accounts, once you put it in, you don't, you take it out and there, as long as you used it for a qualified expense, there's no um, tax associated with selling. That's great. Other questions, who would like to jump in here? I feel like we're covering some nice wide ground. Maybe. Also, I'm all, also fascinated. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We have a question. I was going to say, I'm also fascinated with like relationships and money questions. That's like an interesting, but I don't know if anyone has them or wants to ask them. <laughs> Jill, you're good. You're on. Sort of a relationship. It is, um, I'm just curious. One, once you start putting money in the kids' names, are there things you have to worry about, like moving it back and forth between you and them? Because I just went through this of like we bought treasury bonds last year and we maxed out on like everybody's opportunity to do that. And then we wanted to like pull that money out, but I didn't want to do the hassle of like creating new accounts for everybody. So it just like got me my head spiraling about like when when is it all ours and when is it theirs and does it matter? Yeah. So it's a great question. So it matters for a few things. It matters for financial aid. Um, who has what? So it's something to look into when the time comes, um, it matters for, um, it was funny. My mom had lunch with her friend the other day and she called, she's like, did you know that when you pass away, you have to pay 40% of your, 
of everything that you passed down. I'm like, actually, that's only after 12.8 million. So I think you'll be okay. But um, it matters for a state, a state planning, um, who has what. So they, like, if you, there are different trusts and things where you're not actually giving ownership to somebody else. You're just kind of keeping it and saying it's theirs. Um, but I think as far as I don't know. I want to say for sure, maybe that was something I can look into for you with the treasury bonds, but um, I think it's um, would be fine to transfer in between, but I'll, I'll write down to double check that for you. Other questions. Christine is back. Christine. I just had a quick follow-up <clears throat> to our conversation earlier about like, timeline and risk versus um, kind of having money on hand for short-term goals. Um, what is, does the calculation differ when it's um, investment in a private company versus like general stock market, you know, um, indexes? I, I think so because, well, the reason it would be different for me is access to the funds. And so like how with the private company investment engagement is it are you able to take the money out um how quickly could you get it out if you need it um and just also the with private companies depending on the size and their financials like how often the company is valued so that you actually know what the value is um but there can be that like so for example my dad is in the mortgage business and so we invest in um we're investors in his mortgages but they're one year two year mortgages um and so in that case right i as as long as this person is able to pay back i know that i'm getting the funds in one or two years and that is a private company that i'm essentially investing in but if i'm investing in a startup or it could be different so because private companies run the gamut i would just think about how would it be to access the funds um at different time intervals and what happens to the value of it at those points. And your risk for a private company can be completely different than a, an index fund that's across a whole bunch of companies that is gonna reflect a market more broadly. Like you're putting yeah. all of your egg, all of whatever the amount of money's eggs into that basket, so. Yes, whereas an index you're owning like 500, companies at one time. So if anything happens in one given industry or one given CEO does something wonky, um, it, the impact can be pretty minimal. So what I'm hearing you say is it seems like we're approaching it pretty well by leaving everything that we can in it, except for known expenses or goals that we have more short term. Is that like the more essential goals and needs short term, then we'll have. Yeah, that I'd say if you have your emer if you have like these certain boxes checked. So I'd say you have a nice rainy day fund, which is not necessarily short term needs, but potentially um, the like yeah, and for investing, but not for you particularly, but for specifically, but for generally investing, I like to see have a nice rainy day fund. You're maxing out four hundred one k matching. You're um, putting money towards retirement. You're high interest debts paid off and then um, uh, any other short-term things. Um, they might not be a priority, but if you're going to do them to prioritize those in cash and then anything else can be long-term investments. Um, I would say like, so for financial adulting, I interviewed a bunch of investing experts and for the, the Georgia, um, someone I interviewed, she called it hunches and fun. So outside, uh, like there are people who enjoy investing in a specific company and saying like, I think Tesla is going to do great. Or I really love this, this kid's clothing brand. I want to support this founder. And she like the, the numbers I was seeing is like keeping those hunches and fund two and a half to 5% of your portfolio. Um, whereas the rest is in broadly diversified investments because of that higher risk and knowing when we're investing in individual companies like that is a lot more risky and that should be money that we're okay with and don't need um, necessarily. And it's okay if it fluctuates or in some cases goes away. Yeah. 
I always joke that I want for my hunches fund to be um, to invest in Costco, given how much money my family spends there. I feel like that, and I, there's a lot, I, I love Costco. There's so many great things about it. They treat their employees well, really got a great business model. And I'm just like, kids, kids college fund should just be in Costco. Uh, <laughs> haven't acted on it, but still thinking about it. Maybe put two, two to 5% in, into Costco. <laughs> yeah. I know Costco, uh, a lot of money there too. So me, I think no, it's like, <laughs> And then when you go shopping there, you're like, you know what, this is, this is, uh, this is benefiting me. <laughs> There's an investing app that I worked with called stash and they have a card where when you spend money with any public company, they like you buy fractions of a share of it. Um, and it's, you know, it's a small amount of investing, but I do think it's a cool way to change our mindset that like you become an owner as, yeah. you know, and it's a different, yeah, and of all the publicly traded companies that I spend money with. Costco, number one for me. <laughs> <laughs> and they do really treat their employees well. I think they have like college funds. and Yeah, I mean, all for it. Um, Hannah, back to you. And then we we have eight minutes left. So we'll do Hannah. And then if someone hasn't had a chance to ask a question, wants to ask a question, I want to get to a last person. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure if you do have resources, but back to kind of the um, sort of estate planning trust kind of questions as as we start getting older our parents are getting older and it would be amazing um if you had or could develop resources for those of us who can help our folks um plan for estate planning in a way that doesn't end up with having everything ending up in probate for years or like I know that there's strategically things that people can do it's awkward having those conversations with our folks but even if it's something that like I could send my parents an article to say like this would be best and then I can also do that for my own kids yeah um, that would be massive so there is a chapter in my book called estate plan on estate planning um, I'd say the biggest things for parents is to make sure that they have the living will and healthcare proxy um, document yeah. signed. So if anything happens, like they know who can make decisions on their behalf and that to know if they, you know, their wishes for end of life. Um, it, it, I think, you know, it's a challenging conversation. And a lot of times what spurs it is seeing it go really horribly for someone else and seeing how much chaos there is that you don't know what they wanted, where are all the accounts. Um, so they're in the in the book, we definitely talk about like different ways to have things avoid probate, probate when they're in um, a lot of accounts actually. So 401ks, IRAs, bank accounts, anywhere where you can name a beneficiary, those can just go directly to the beneficiary outside of probate. So that's great. Um, so definitely make sure that in all those accounts, you have beneficiaries in there and secondary beneficiaries. Um, and then I've noticed depending on if in a lot of corporate jobs now they have um, like a legal benefit. So that could be one way to get some estate planning specific to your state um, because there's like the federal things and then the state things, but specific to your state for a reasonable cost. But it, I think it is something to invest in and understand and um also life insurance doesn't go through probate just goes right to the beneficiary but to think about the conversation with parents it doesn't have to be like we're going to sit down and you tell me everything but to kind of frame it as hey let's do this while we're all like here feeling okay like i want to know what you want and as like almost feeling like a service not um because sometimes there can be a oh, you're already trying to get rid of me and get my stuff, you know? Um, but it's like, no, I want to take care of you. But it doesn't have to be all at the same time. There can be like a planting of the seed and asking a specific question. This just happened to my friend. Like, I'm curious what you think about this. Um, do you know where all your accounts are? Um, a longer conversation. But definitely, I think it's chapter 13 in financial adulting. Um, I talk more about the nitty gritty. I actually interviewed a trust and a state's attorney for it who, um, yeah, I can find her name for you too. She was great to go. Um, um, before, we're, to. before we're out of time, Ashley, can we get the links to, we, uh, Haley has put the link to your website in. 
um, what are some other yes. good ways to stay in touch with you? Okay, so I'm going to give you some things. So I do a weekly newsletter called The Money Musing. Um, and every week there is a money move of the week. We celebrate wins. So that is a great way to be in touch with me. I'm going to send a link to the two quizzes. Um, I'm also on Instagram and I, I'm not doing a lot there yet, but I want to start posting in February. I'm going to focus more on LinkedIn. That's where I am these days. That's how that's yeah, a, a happier productive yeah, place. A happier, I don't um, know. It's not happier. It's just less. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm that's I, where I am now. I think people are slightly more wary of what they say because their bosses might be watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a double take there. Um, there's definitely less political yelling, I feel yes. like, on yep. LinkedIn. So that's nice. So those are the two quizzes. The first one is the what's the budgeting app for you? And then the second one is your budgeting personality. That's awesome. Um, these are great. Yes. Awesome resources. And I'm also gonna, um, put a recording of this conversation in the member feed. If anyone ever wants to go back and listen and make sure you got the advice, et cetera. Um, we are coming up on our time. Any any final questions, quick questions we can ask Ashley? And I own an answer on the um, treasury bonds transferring. Just I want to double check it. Um, yeah, this was great. I'm, I'm glad we got uh, got a lot of good. Um, oh, yeah. People are getting the book, getting the book from the library, requesting it from the library. I keep sending more links. There's my Instagram. This one's my LinkedIn. But I'm like, DM me, message me. I'm always happy to chat. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we could kind of have some good demystifying. Nobody knows all the answers. Many people have the same questions. These things are complicated. And um, yes, we can all uh, muddle through and have solidarity together in some of these challenges. So, and we change and the rules change. So it's yeah. like, you're never done. It's kind of frustrating, but it's also a relief that you're not, you know, you never have to have it all figured out. No, totally. And yes, there's so many, there's so many changing permutations and there's so many complexities. So it's, it's kind of a, a life, a lifelong learning process, I would say. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Ashley. Thank you all so much for being here. It was really fun to see everyone and, um, have a great rest of your week for those in North Carolina. Enjoy the warm weather. Talk to you later. Thank Bye. you.